Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing, and what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. You need to be consumed live, and that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Yeah, coming up, we are going to have a very timely conversation with Milwaukee Bucks president Peter Fagan. Of course, the Bucks making a deep run into the NBA playoffs. This is a guy who's had a fascinating career across both sports and investment. There in Milwaukee, oversees the arena as well. And anybody who's been watching TV during these playoffs, has seen there's just a lot of hype, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of heat around the Bucks there locally, and so eager to get into that conversation with him. Uh, before we get to that, though, guys, we should talk about what's been going on in the world of sports. The biggest thing really is July 1st. It happened this week, which meant name, image, and likeness. Here we go. It's happening, and not just in the 15 states where it has been enacted by state legislatures. Lynchy, but the NCAA literally hours before July 1st came out and said, all right, okay, you guys can go and make some money off of your name, image, and likeness. I really feel like, not to overstate it, we are going to look back on this as the day that sports really changed. You've got deals already happening for college athletes. The, the first two things that came to mind for me were Title IX and then the eligibility of freshmen to play varsity yeah. sports in college. And now this is going to be one of the biggest turning points in the history of college sports, where now the NCAA has said that student-athletes can do commercials, they can endorse products, they can get money for signing autographs. Uh, they just, however, can't get paid by the university to play. So this is going to – you want to talk about the, the juggling four, five, six balls in the air. This is happening, as you said, uh, Jason, the, the number of states that are going to – uh, legalize it and who's going to be who's going to have the final say i mean who's going to be where are the checks and balances in this and that that's going to be the big problem well it's ultimately going to come down to and it hasn't gotten there yet to congress mm. but mm. you know I, I will say michael barr and i think i've asked you this question before and i remain interested in it which is does amateurism or the lack thereof uh which you could argue that Amateurism no longer exists in, in college sports if players are getting paid in some form or fashion. Does that change the way you view college sports? It, no. It, and and the reason why it's – let me put it this way. I guess my best example, if you have a high school basketball team, the high school itself is not making money off the high school basketball team. But when you take it up now to college, 
and, and this has been going on for many years before this new rule, the athletes weren't making any money, but the college was making hand over fist of money over these athletes, over these teams from the, the football team, the basketball team, and so on. And I always say this started way back when the video game came out for NCAA basketball, and you would see some of the likeness of some of the players in the game, and the athletes finally said, wait a minute, you're taking my likeness and my name, and and I'm not getting any money out of this. It's like, wait a minute. So I always say that's the point when the match was struck and everything started to change. So, Lynchy, and I know we've talked about this before, and, you know, you're a former college athlete, and, you know, I, I do wonder what, what you think about this. I do think it may change, if not the way we watch sports, it may change where athletes end up going to college. Don't you think that's possible? Yeah, if you get to an area that's a big market that has all kinds of companies that uh, will will elevate the profile of the student athlete, they're going to gravitate towards those schools. Um, already right now, I'm looking on social media, and they've, uh, for instance, there's a basketball player from Baylor who's at, who now is going on Cameo, and he'll send personal videos to anyone for $45. That's happening right now as we speak. Um, there's a bunch of players at a small school like Jackson State right now who have uh, uh, ink deals with Three Kings Grooming, which is a black-owned business. So it's happening right now at the very small school level. But I can only imagine when you get to a place like USC or UCLA or Clemson or Alabama, the deals that are going to be offered. I mean, you know, Fred's, uh, Fred's Ford in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. How much is he going to give, you know, Michael Barr, my uh, starting middle linebacker, to endorse the, the Ford cars at his dealership? Yeah. It's interesting, too. I mean, you're also, I think, going to have it come the other way, which is national brands essentially going through and picking out, okay, well, this is an athlete who already has a massive social following. There's a great example of this that literally came out um, on July 1st, the morning of July 1st, which is Boost Mobile, which is a wireless company. They endorsed Two or they won endorsements from two college student athletes. They are paying to be endorsed by these athletes, and it's twin guards, the Cavender twins, who play at Fresno State. They have massive, massive social media following. Some of the biggest of NCAA athletes. To put some numbers around that, five million total followers across Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And so, if you're sitting there and you're Boost Mobile you're going to pay them to endorse your product because they're in in the same way that they're influencers who you know endorsing makeup brands or other things across uh, or outside of the sports world I should say uh this is what they're going to do so it's not going to be for everyone there's a question I saw on Twitter that said you know will we see in 2021 multiple athletes make more than a million dollars I think we will I absolutely mm -hmm. think we will. Yeah, and 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 the one thing, and I've brought this up before, and, and I'll say it again, and, and we all talked about this. Now you're dangling all of this money, if you want to call it that, uh, or whatever, uh, out in front of a college athlete. What I worry about is some, but somebody named Benny getting in there and wanting to to fix the game. Uh, you know, okay, you can win, but, uh, you know, keep it uh, within the spread and this and that, whatever. That's what I really worry about. And, and, I, and I hope 
that the NCAA, that they have some sort of schooling on this to where to the athletes where they need to know, don't do this right. because this is going to be a mess if you do. Everybody named Benny who's listening to this show is like, why, why are you going to single out the Bennies? Like, so there's some like, you know, very, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got a I got a cousin named Benny. And he's mad as all. Good yeah, exactly. Like, he's why like, are you why, doing this? Why are you doing me like that, Bar? Come on, I'm a I'm a clean upstanding, uh, fine upstanding citizen. All right. Uh, speaking of big money, let's talk about esports. This is something I know that's close to your heart, Michael Barr, because I believe you have an esports uh, aficionado, an esports player in your household. Complexity. This is a franchise that's backed by Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, acquired for $26.7 million by a larger esports company. It just so happens we had the CEO of Complexity, Jason Lake, on a year ago. So this is just as the pandemic was starting to take hold, talking about the opportunities. Check it out. Esports has definitely been pushed to the forefront of sports entertainment. There was a, a NASCAR Pro Invitational um, iRacing series that had like 1.3 million viewers, um, and that was on Fox. ESL has their Counter-Strike League that was meant to be played in Malta, but that was moved online. And it saw concurrent viewership of over 355,000. Um, you know, for online matches, that, that's a significant number. Um, so people are watching gaming. They're participating in gaming in record numbers. Um, viewerships at record numbers, and uh, it, it's a really interesting time for our business. Well, certainly an interesting time, and you have seen a lot of the big owners. This is what's so fascinating to me, Lynchy. You've seen a lot of the big owners, I believe, including uh, the crafts up there in yep. New England, invest you know pretty aggressively into esports. They obviously have a deep interest in real sports and non-esports, <laughs> uh, but this is where the world is going. I believe the Celtics owners uh, have invested here as well. Ted Leonsis, who not surprisingly uh, has gone there in part because he made his money at AOL, his initial fortune at AOL. I mean, these guys are in. Well, you walk into any professional locker room, whatever sport it is, and if the players aren't watching the TV on a, like a baseball game, if it's a, a baseball locker room, they're playing esports in front of their locker. Yeah. with somebody else in, in another part of the world. And I think the owners, you know, have their antenna up. They see this, what's going on, and they realize what a great investment it is. And, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys actually have, like, a room in their their headquarters in, in Texas for, for eSports. Um, and now they, they've, they've turned us into, uh, what, almost $27 million in that sale. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I am just amazed, by the way, that how eSports has exploded in the past several years. And I thank you to my boy for my 16-year-old who educated me on eSports because I was watching him playing a real tournament. And I and the intensity involved is night and day than, you know, when he's beating dad playing Risk on the on the computer. It's a night and day difference, folks. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. 
Well, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. You know, we like our conversations to be timely, guys. We like our guests to be sort of in the news. Well, we're certainly delivering for you this week. Milwaukee Bucks president Peter Fagan joins us uh, in the midst of a playoff run. Uh, for that team, for that city, so much excitement around these playoffs. Peter, really nice to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. Well, thank you. Uh, so tell us about life inside the Bucks organization right now. Obviously, every uh, every one of the past few seasons has been a little bit different uh, in the NBA, but we're taping this on a Thursday morning. Uh, tell us what's going on with you and, and the team and how you're viewing this run. Yeah, I think, you know, and I, I kind of am in the town crier for the organization, and this is just hollow time. You know, this is surreal. This is where we, where you're on a global platform on the Eastern Conference finals, and, and these moments don't exist that that much especially like in a market in a smaller market like milwaukee what it means for us coming out of a pandemic what it means for us going into next year what it means for us as a brand as an enterprise um and and what the what the prospect of going to the finals are all like these monumental events slash opportunities that you just have to prepare and and really and, and gravitate to as quickly as possible Peter, I got to bring up the elephant in the room, and we we're kind of talking about it off air. Giannis Antetokounmpo scared the daylights out of me because he went down with a knee injury. Fortunately, your star player, it looks like there is no structural damage uh, as we're talking. Yeah, I, th- I think that's when you gasp. I think this is part of the sport, you know, is, is, is health. You know, nobody talks about it, but it is probably number one uh, kind of variable is, is how do you stay healthy? How do you stay injury free? And, 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 you know, for all of us, the, 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 uh, the fact that he has no structural damage and that he's, you know, literally walking stairs yesterday and, and Giannis, you know, is, if you don't know him, he's the guy you think he is. You'd have to fight him, uh, not to play. Um, if a doctor says he can actually walk and rehab to get it done. So, you know, I think obviously in the short term, not an option to play, but, you know, in in the longer term, we'll take it day by day and, and see where he is. So I, I think optimistically the best news we possibly could have gotten. I think, uh, he, you know, hopefully we, 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 we kind of get through the Eastern Conference Finals, get this win at home, get on to the next game, and, and you know, have Giannis has the ability to play, which would just be incredible. Hey, Peter, it's Mike up in Boston. Um, I was doing a little research for this interview, and I saw an advertisement that the Bucks Pro Shop is hiring temporary staff through the rest of the playoffs. I assume that's probably reflective of everything that's going on within your organization in the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I think labor is kind of one of these issues when you talk about operations that the whole country is going through. Uh, we have this incredible you know, moment where we springboard into full operations, kind of from zero you know, to beyond capacity, we've we've got a we've got a deer district out here in a plaza that does about twenty thousand people outside, and you know we've got seventeen thousand people inside, and the labor market is just crunched and very difficult to staff. So, you know, uh, ahead of like trying to build our online audience, monetize our sponsorships, maximize our ticket prices, like our staffing challenges have have. Uh, 
have have been have been really challenging uh, for us and for all kind of businesses as we go forward. So we are we are at the same time we're running towards the NBA championship. We are recruiting labor like we've never had to before. Peter, tell us more uh, about the Deer District because I think anybody who's tuned into these playoffs, you know, that you have these great shots of of all those fans just going nuts there outside, but. My understanding, and keep us honest here, is this was not always the case. This is something that has been really created by you and the organization. We should point out um, that you oversee the the Pfizer Forum, the arena as well. I mean, this is this is a master plan in, in, in many ways. Walk us through that. Well, the owners always like to remind me, like Mark, West and Jamie, that, it, you know, it, the, the vision was build it and they will come and, and Milwaukee never really had a central meeting place, never really had a living room, you know, for people to gather. And one of the visions of this was, like, how do we create a destination? And we were able to acquire 30 acres of, of, of downtown Milwaukee with the centerpiece being the arena. And really around it is, like, how do we create density of people and really, you know, kind of fuel uh, and energize the district with retail, with residential, with commercial. And, and that's that's happened, and the success of the team has been the accelerant to really to, to really make that happen in short term, and especially coming out of the pandemic, to kind of to to to, to really inject some some energy and enthusiasm in, in downtown Milwaukee in a really short period of time has been incredible. So, you know, we're we're now at you know I I don't think we ever want to say the word word capacity, but we are like kind of challenged. More and more as as we grow about ten or twenty percent every game, whether it's a road or home game, to over twenty thousand people is is like how do we continue to service and 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 kind of entertain these these large groups like in the plaza on the outside? It's become almost a bigger event outside than it has inside. That is huge because that means so much money for the local economy, especially. The, the local guys, the, the the restaurants and 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 the the shops that are there, it, it, as we pass and hopefully put COVID in the rearview mirror, that has to be as you mentioned a shot for the economy in that local area. No question. I mean, the thousands of hotel room nights, the rental cars, the the dinners, um, you know, the traffic, the pedestrians. It is it is truly kind of the blessing that's come with winning to, to, to help supercharge, you know, the the Milwaukee downtown economy much faster than it ever would have been done before. Peter, I remember the old Mecca where the Bucks used to play and the only place to go after the game was Major Goolsby's across the street and <laughs> seventeen thousand people would try to cram in there <laughs> every single night. How did this explosion happen? Did it happen before this team's success? Uh, or or did this did the Dare District need the success of the team to be where it is right now? Well, I mean, we're—it's kind of the perfect storm. So we certainly had the vision and the development, you know, prior to the real success of the team. I think, kind of, as we were peaking in '19 and kind of going to the Eastern Conference Finals in the first year of the arena, um, you know, we we built this new area. It kind of, in a, in an instant, um, caught fire and, and interest. We had to take kind of a year off you know, for the pandemic. And now we've kind of started up again and, and, and restarted at a higher level, which is just like fantastic. So we're very nervous about, you know, when you build a new arena and you've got a new district and you've got some 
entertainment and entertainment and residential, like how do you keep the momentum going? So the, the success certainly is paramount to fueling the restart in, in, in such a big way. And it, it's kind of, you know, this model of really using these super brands of teams and arenas like around districts, you know, whether it's Kansas City, well, whether it's L.A. Live, whether it's Columbus, Ohio, has really been a model to supercharge, you know, a microeconomy. Peter, help us understand some of the kind of knock-on effects, as it were, for the business when it comes to season ticket holders, when it comes to sponsors coming out of that bubble year into limited capacity, now full capacity, Deer District, et cetera. How do you manage the business through that and specifically there in Milwaukee? Because across the 30 franchises, everybody was in a slightly different position. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I, you know, we don't advertise the fact that this was this was a devastation to the industry. You know, much like the, the entire country and the entire world. You know, we went from we went from midstream of the season to to zero. You know, and we've got large, large physical plants. We've got huge employee bases. You know, to to operate these, and uh, certainly we're fueled on content. You know, whether they be NBA games, in our case, Marquette games, concerts, and family events, to kind of go to zero. So you know, we went into you know, we, we went into a year, you know, with with not much revenue and, and losses we had never seen before. So the ability to, to really jump out of 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 the pandemic with with a high paced winning team, with excitement, with people like beyond eager to get out of their homes and socialize and, and uh, be it has really kind of has surprised us in a big way. And it is the ripple effect, you know, not just for local economy, but for us, obviously, how do we, how do we accelerate season ticket sales for next year? How do we create values for sponsorships? How do we continue to build like our online audience to, to monetize and things like that? So for us, like we figured, Hey, you know, it's going to take us, it's going to take us a year to dig out of this debt hole and, and kind of get back to, 1920 levels and i think if you have a deep run in the playoffs like what that does is kind of cut that down to you know we could be looking at normalcy you know starting next season which is which is incredible peter you've got an nba team a lot of cities have an nba and nhl team sharing the same arena what kind of other events do you have to fill up the rest of the dates during the calendar year yeah, so I mean, we we kind of like you know we 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 had our first full year at about 150 real events, and that's you know half of those are 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 kind of what I call the team sports, and whether it's it's Bucks, it's Marquette, it's NCAA, and then what you really do is balance that out with you know 40 to 50 concerts. On on top of that, you've got to create your family shows and think of everything from your Feld shows to your Disney on Ices to your rodeos to your WWEs to your UFCs. And then, you know, you you kind of figure out where you are in the market and what you can customize and how you can do some in-house kind of concerts that would, you know, and and special shows to to comedy shows. Um, You know, we think we've built this arena to be the gold standard of where people want to come, where people can can really, you know, habitate and have a fun time, like in and around the district, and it's a destination, you know, and, and you know, regionally, it's easier to get to Pfizer Forum from northern, you know, Illinois than it is to get to the United Center, and how do we create that great experience 
how do we attract people, you know, from a couple hundred miles and have marquee events um, and make it special. So for us, it's like continuing to build that content schedule in like a very big way. And, you know, I think we should be a, we should be a facility doing, you know, 200 to 250 events, you know, including another 100 events outside. And whether that's a Chris King, Kindle, you know, Christmas Mart to, to farmer's markets to ice skating rinks in the summer. I mean, there's so much and so many great examples of what's done. And we're still in the kind of incubator stage of, of, of finding out what works and, and how, do we, how do we continue to build it up. Peter, talk to us about the the fan base and and especially sort of overlaying that with the arena and you know balancing affordability and perks and access and you know especially at this time where it feels like fans are enthusiastic, emboldened, and and all of those things that manifest whether it's on social media or you know looking at at various things that are happening across uh, pro sports. It, Help us understand your fan base and, and how you serve them as from a customer perspective. Yeah, I mean, great question because this is like this is a valued based fan base like you can't imagine. There are price points where there are inflection points. Uh, this is a this is a, a, a consumer base that that actually looks at their receipts, which like I've never seen before. You know, coming from larger markets, you know, you never have to worry about beer prices or food prices. You do here, and you do have to figure out, you know. How we align with the brewers on you know what our twenty ounce beer price is in in a big way. People do not want to get ripped off. People want value for their money. People have have kind of stayed on what's affordability for for certain ticket prices and what the balance is. And and you know we're challenged. We do not have an eighteen million person DNA like New York. You know we have we have a million people in the in the seven surrounding counties. Maybe six hundred thousand in metro. You know I was just in Atlanta. You know as we play the Hawks. You know that's a seven million person you know metro market. You you might be able to make some mistakes. You know as you as you acquire fans and retain fans, like in our business, like we really don't have, we, we don't have the luxury of, of losing of attrition in any big number. So we've got to be a winning team. We've got to create unbelievable value and, and, and unbelievable service to kind of keep them and work hard for every customer. And so just to follow on that, does that change the the pricing dynamics? Does it change the way you think about suites? Does it, how does that manifest sort of day-to-day or, or even strategically? So it really makes you think about how you segment your pricing in your marketplace. It's like you certainly can have premium. You certainly can have, you know, corporate-driven products. You can certainly have high-net-worth individual products, you know, whether they be the first three rows, whether they be suites or lofts or premium areas. But you really have to balance it, you know, with, with, with affordability and the ability to bring in. And, you know, in this market, you are as much a, a business as you are a community partner. Mm. So you cannot disenfranchise, like, the, the, the general public in, in a big way. And, and that's a balance you know, that, that I've learned and we've learned like over the last five years that some markets don't have to think about as, as much. And we really do have to have that consideration to get that. So it, it, it's, it's a much deeper thought out algorithm for ticket pricing, you know, for instance, than it, than it might be in a larger market.
You know, Peter, we were talking right before we came on air about one of the things I'm personally most fascinated with, and I dare say you are too, which is the change that we've seen in ownership across the NBA. It's happened in a lot of sports, but it feels most marked uh, candidly in the NBA, and you guys are pointed to as as really the tip of the spear in, in, in many ways when we think about Mark Lazary, Wes Edens, and, and Jamie Dynan coming in and really making some pretty bold decisions on the court and off uh, in the arena we were talking about before and thinking about pricing and all of that. You worked for Berkshire Hathaway before. You understand big name <laughs> investors probably better than anyone. Uh, help us understand how that plays out in, in this particular franchise. Yeah, I, I think the the one great thing about the NBA is it truly is a collaborative. So on the court, like beyond competitive and 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 fierce, and and it's a it's an arms race. But off the court, it really is best practices and and, and kind of like what you're seeing. So if you think of the evolution of ownership, you know, of pro sport teams, I mean, not just not just our guys who are like the most incredible board of directors you can ever imagine. You know, we've got Mike Facitelli who, who ran Vernado on commercial real estate and very few questions, you know, don't have answers when we're thinking about development and Wes Eden who, who, you know, helped pioneer the private equity field and Mark Lazary on the distressed debt and Jamie Dynan. But look throughout the league, you know, like you've got, you know, media and digital expert like Ted Leonis. You know, you've got Dan Gilbert, you know, who's who's rebuilt the city of Detroit. You know, when you talk about you've got Steve Ballmer who who built, you know, Microsoft. So when you think about, you know, kind of like the this concentration of, of knowledge, success, process and growth, like it, it's you you can't put a value on what that does for our ability to, to have best practices, to use examples, to collaborate, to really evolve these sports businesses into, you know, much bigger entities. There are six words also that bring up big-time revenue. Broadcast <laughs> rights, broadcast rights, broadcast rights. That has changed the face of major sports, especially in the NBA. Can you expand more on that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, for the value of obviously the the national broadcast deals have, have been the fuel to, to really increase these values. And then maybe in the last 10 years, you've really seen, especially in the NBA, what global rights have done, you know, especially in Asia uh, for, for distribution and brand and, and revenue, you know, for the league and for the teams. And now I'm going to, you know, you're going to get, you know, we're going to kind of slip into the next generation of like, what does, media look like in the future, whether it's over the top, streaming, a mix of traditional. I mean, it's really like an incredible time. Um, And, you know, pro live sports is just like one of those things that's like a hot commodity, hot content, and really probably drive like what that future of of live events looks like. So it's really exciting. I mean, we, you know, we are, you know, we've got a local, um, media deal with with ballet sports we've got our national deal with with turner and and espn you know that fuels it but it is it is you know how people digest the product and it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get wider and we're only going to get you know more impressions from more places around the world so peter what's around the corner for the uh, the the Deer District and the Milwaukee Bucks uh, as we head into July 2021 and the success you've had so far. 
Yeah, so there's some physical plant stuff. We're about to break ground on a hotel on, on the property. We're, we're kind of in, in, in the pre-development stage of some residential and some more commercial in a big way. We're kind of digging out of that, you know, pandemic um, side and, and navigating what the entertainment side looks like to really book to book up, you know, the rest of, of this calendar year and, and really kind of, you know, what I see kind of in the entertainment side as, as just kind of a year we've never seen before um, as as concerts and shows get out, um, you know, in, in 22 in a way that they haven't, they, they have never been. So that'll be kind of exciting as we uh, as we ramp it up. And, and for us, like we're looking, you know, to to sustain growth we've got one of these rare moments where as a team you know our 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 centerpiece of the bucks is we've got Giannis signed for a long-term extension drew holiday um chris middleton you know it's one of those rare moments where you've got the core of a very competitive championship caliber team signed for a longer period of time and we think you know the business perspective of that is like we can go out to market and sell like higher and longer term than we've been able to do in the past with that value proposition that we're going to be a competitive, a, a championship competitor for a long time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You know, Peter, it, it's so interesting that that's that's where you went because it, it's very much where I wanted to go next, which is that you know the contours of the business of pro basketball and the business of the NBA, obviously moving in a much more aggressively global way. It's the second most popular sport in the world, as you well know, behind football. Football in the global sense, not American football. Um, but there's also this moment where it's an incredibly star-driven league. You see players decamping every season uh, for greener pastures at, here and there. You talked about the the fierce on-court rivalries, but also sort of the, the collective. What does the NBA collectively have to do, and, and what's your role in it in being – for lack of a better term, sort of innovative around the business. You know, you guys have done a good job with labor collectively, as it were. But how do you grow this this larger pie? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll revert to, like, the Board of Governors, ownership, and Adam as just being constantly driven by constant improvement, like audits, refinements, and, and focused on growth. You know, so I, I think as we look about – as we look at the league, there's so many kind of interesting, kind of fascinating things going on, whether it's whether it's expansion, whether it's global expansion, whether it's academies, whether it's new media um, prospects. I think it's also like the game itself. Like, do we look at in do we look at in season tournaments? You know, how do we how do we tweak all star weekend? So I think one of the things that gets me like really excited, and enthusiastic is maybe maybe. 
Adam and the owners are pleased, but they're never satisfied. And that's, like, really exciting, you know, that we're constantly looking for kind of, like, what is the next and to stay ahead of the curve and to innovate. And, you know, in its own special way, the bubble was that. You know, like, how do we take charge and own this and really really pave the path for for restarting pro sports in the world? And, and that's an exciting example of, of, like, how cool it is to be part of the NBA. You know, I I want to follow on that quickly if I can, but and and to call back to something you said earlier about the the collective and you know in the same way that we've seen this change in in owners, I, I dare say we have seen an an elevation, and this is with all due respect to people who have sat in in your seat and similar seats before, but an elevation of the role that that you're in, you know. In terms of, you know, you think about the Steve Coonins and the Scent Marshalls of the world and the Abundandis in um, in Brooklyn. I mean, I feel like y'all are sort of leveling up, too, in, in some perspective. Now, I wonder if you see that and what that level of the collective is like and how you guys sort of draw on the experiences of each other. So I, th- I think, and, and and we were there before, but I think the pandemic definitely put us all together in a way that we had never been before on a daily and weekly, and and kind of bonded us. And it it is like transparency. And and I call Chris McGowan in Portland for best practices with labor. I call Coonan on media. I, you know, John, you know, on ticketing. Like we we are sharing collaborative. I think Teambo, like team marketing and business operations. Uh, kind of run by Amy Brooks at the at the NBA has has kind of like set the template down for almost like the the internal consulting best practices model for how to bring these teams and these leagues together so so we all kind of flourish in, in a big way so he, and and I think you know I think on the operating side you know we're now owned by by folks that own several, you know, have come from owning or managing or building like large companies or several companies and and they look for, you know, true operators, you know, and, and, and kind of people who are focused on growth and people who've had success, you know, organizationally. And and it's kind of all built up to this evolution of what these enterprises have become. When I read this, I was not letting this go. You are the uh, creator and you created this last year of Cream City Cluckery. And what it is uh, is uh. for <laughs> delicious chicken tenders. And <laughs> I, first of all, what made you come up with that name? And yeah. second of all, how, how did you get into this? Gentlemen, add an hour to the show. You've now hit <laughs> forget, forget ticketing, forget sponsorship, forget media. The world is about the greatest chicken tender that's ever existed. So I'll tell you, you talk about culture. Like, how did we come up with this? We, we overnight had a facility that had the largest kitchen in the state of in the state of Wisconsin, we had a sports bar that, you know, is a is a seven million dollar store that went completely flat. And we said, my God, we have this we have this infrastructure. And we had one of our managers who runs our food and beverage just say, like, why aren't we doing a ghost kitchen? And we said, ghost kitchen, why don't we brand the hell out of this, use all of our assets, charge up the charge up the kitchen and uh, see if we can create a franchise and have some fun with this as we're not playing basketball. And you know what? Perfect timing. We're, we're, we're about to open two, two more physical cluckeries. It's ghost kitchen 
in in our head chef had had kind of come from the south with like an unbelievable recipe, some butter cake, and created you know on demand delivery and pickup system that you know started to do a few thousand dollars a night like during COVID and kind of hit it off and great product and. Uh, Listen, it's it's not going to pay the expense side of our players' salaries and uh, coach, but it certainly is like a fun venture where we're able to leverage off kind of our equity in um, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, create a cool brand and a, a great chicken finger. Like it's <laughs> off the charts. I'm happy you guys should set book in Wisconsin. Like free. Free clockery on me. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Where's my plane ticket, exactly. man? We got to go. Uh, Bar just left. Sorry. Oh, Sorry, guys. He I literally am, dropped uh, his headphones. Did you actually have this much fun in any other job you've had in your entire life? Because your enthusiasm is jumping through my headsets right now. So, so I've been kind of lucky. So I got out of school, and I went to Six Flags theme parks. And if you told me... For my years there, if I was a park president, I'd be the most, I'd be, that would be the dream, you know, I'd ever have. And then from Six Flags theme parks, I went to, I went to Madison Square Garden and I was hired by Ernie Grunfeld and I was in my hometown, like running marketing and sponsorship for the New York Knicks. I thought I'd pinched myself and, and gone to heaven. And then I went into this private aviation world of marquee jet and then to net jets. And I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever done. And then, these guys kind of, I don't know if they plucked me. I might have glued myself to them for, <laughs> for this opportunity. But if you had ever told me that there was an opportunity to run one of the 30 franchises, kind of build, build a district and reinvigorate a city, be part of a brand and part of the story, I would have just told you, like, not in a million years. So I think, knock on wood, like, after, you know, after almost six years, like, I'm, I'm as I'm as amped up, especially you're talking to us as we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, add some <laughs> add some amp to it. But you know, these are this, this is like this is pinch yourself magic wand stuff. So this is just awesome. And I kind of say this to people here: like if you can't be if you can't be amped up in enthusiasm, like in a job for a pro sports team that you know kind of is growth and 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 fun, like you are definitely in the wrong place. Well, and I want to just wrap up by asking you a question related to that, which is, you know, as you think back and 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 hopefully for for Bucks fans, maybe less so for Hawks fans, there's more to come. Um, but I do wonder because your job is different in the sense that your emotions, your revenues, all of it sort of rises and falls on this very public product in many ways and and so much of what you're working on every a everybody gets to see but but also we're also invested in our teams is there a moment that you have where you know just as a a fan of your organization you're really going to remember you think from from this playoff run you know, it's so funny. Like, I, I think, like, you know, I remember, like, the cathartic moments of, like, opening the arena. I remember getting funding for the arena. I get, And then kind of, you know, the one thing I've, I've started to learn, and it's, it really is impossible from, like, being in the sport, is kind of the one thing I take away from the players, like a Chris Middleton, like a Giannis, and anything is, you know, it, it, it's one game. You know, it's, it's like one thing. Do not, do, do not, you know, take take one chapter and make it the book, like, 
you know, you're going to play again. How do you recover? That's not to say that I put on a strong face after Giannis goes down and we lose the game and I don't cry in my hotel room. Like, that's fine. Like, you can get upset. But this is this, this is a much bigger, you know, kind of op- opportunity. And I think, like, listen, you have to – maximize every opportunity you have. And today we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We are planning to be in the finals. We are an NBA championship. I don't know any other way to do it. And, and what does that look like? And if you don't do it, you certainly had a taste for it. And you've got to use that, you know, to as motivation to go into the next, into the next seasons. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Peter, thank you so much. Really, really good uh, to catch up with you. Best of luck uh, through this. And uh, it's been really fun, I have to say, to to watch all the energy and excitement uh, through the television. It, it really comes through. And, and as Lynchy said, it, it comes through in talking to you as well. And uh, it's fun for us to, to hear that sort of enthusiasm around the business of sports. So thank you so much. Guys like Lynchy for Boston and, and Barr, like I know you're going to go through some tough times. So you're welcome to Milwaukee anytime. We'd love to have you. I'll be scooched up to the television set, man, when for the draft. It's like, okay, let's see if we got something for Milwaukee now. Well, good luck. I think, I think, listen, Detroit gets good. That's good for all of us. We're dying for competitive set. That's awesome to have good, good Midwest competition <laughs> all right in the meantime we're going to take you up on that chicken tender offer but oh, yeah. uh, it's really good really good thank you so much all right guys well really good to get some time uh with peter there and and lynchy you nailed it i mean they a lot of enthusiasm there look there's a lot to be enthusiastic about and i think he said yeah. something really important there um toward the end of the conversation which is that from a business perspective you like to be in Milwaukee right now because regardless of what happens through this weekend and through the rest of the NBA finals, this is a team that clearly there's been some investment in and that makes his job easier. This is not a super team coupled together. There's some long-term investments being made there and that's it, it candidly, that's good for business. It is. And they're a likable team. They're an embraceable team by the average NBA fan or basketball fan. You look at the Brooklyn, okay, they concocted, they, they came together, they almost colluded to put the three superstars together. This team was just put together, like teams have been put together in the past. And they have a great crowd out there. Giannis is a very likable guy, he's the league MVP, and they've got a great supporting cast. And as Peter said, they've got him signed to long-term deals, a lot of these guys. So good things are, are, are gonna keep happening for this franchise. Bar, what'd you take away there? <laughs> oh, we got to go get some of those chicken tenders, yeah. man. <laughs> uh, cream City Cluckery. And, and it, my point is, and, and I and, and is we've been having this this theme all through this show, and, and Lynchy, you hit the nail on the head. He has such excitement. And when we mentioned about Cream City Cluckery, man, it's, <laughs> we, we could buy a franchise. We went to 11 there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just I admire anybody who more than just obviously the Bucks obviously are very strong, but that starts uh, a whole brand new franchise, a whole brand new branch, and they start it off, and you have that excitement. God bless you, because that's the spirit that you have to be to be an entrepreneur. All right, so lots to take away there, and we'll see what happens in the NBA. 
playoffs. Let's do the number of the week. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We had a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right. Now, I got to set this up. So mm. this is, there's a little bit of a setup here. Let me explain. Chip Ganassi sold his NASCAR team to Justin Marks. He's the owner of Trackhouse Racing. And he declared that he will pull out of the uh, nation's top stock car series at the end of this season. Now, uh, one of the things that happens when you buy a NASCAR team that's established like Chip Ganassi is that you buy a charter. And because Ganassi has two cars, that means two charters. Now, the terms of the deal were not released. But what I want to know is how much, as of two weeks ago, are two charters in NASCAR? And if anybody doesn't know what what a charter is, it means basically that you have an agreement that you're going to show up at the race with those two cars to compete. And uh, and, and I will I will give you something else. Each week it costs about four hundred thousand dollars to run a NASCAR for that one race. Just really? so just to give that just to give you that that uh, along line. Four hundred thousand dollars it costs for a car, but it costs four hundred thousand dollars because you got the crew and everything going on. And that's about fifteen million a year. So what I'm asking, two charters, how much does that cost? I'm gonna say so the total the total for two is at twelve million. Uh, I got my little calculator out here. I'm going to go with 16 million. Actually, Jason is closer. It is at least Ugh. 10 million dollars for a pair of charters. And that was two weeks ago. At least 10 million. And wow. the, okay. the charter is important because what that does, it it tells the sponsor, "Hey, we're showing up. So if you want to sponsor our car, here you are." It, that that is that's an important thing if you're going to try to sell a sponsor to come join your team. Interesting. So. All right, that is a that is a rabbit hole of NASCAR that I never <laughs> thought that I would go down, but I now yeah. understand a little bit more about the economics of racing, the louder type. Yes, <laughs> not not Formula E, which we're going to talk about next week. The guttural. Well, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those. They drop on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch, thrilled to have a conversation with Peter Fagan, the president that made Milwaukee famous. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. Chicken, chicken, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.